Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. In keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. You've been forgiving them ever since you brought them out of Egypt. They've been complaining since they, why'd you bring us to the Red Sea, Moses? You brought us out here to drown us, knucklehead. Get a map. (laughs) That's pretty funny. (laughs) Moses, get a map. Did you Google this trip? Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory. Sorry, I'm distracted. We were driving across Crouch Mesa yesterday, right at sunset. Did y'all notice the sunset yesterday? It was particularly beautiful. We were up on Crouch Mason. You can see all to the west. The sun already already went down. The sky was orange and yellow and blue and shiprock and all the landscape for miles and miles and miles. It was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We were going towards Bloomfield. So I look up in the rearview mirror and the sun is shining on the, I guess it's the La Plata Mountains. And there's snow on the mountains. And it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We come over to the south side of Crouch Mason. Now you're looking at Angel Peak and all the bluffs and all the mesas and all. The earth is filled with the Lord's glory. Not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence. And the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness, but again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give to their ancestors. They will never even see the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. I think God's a little aggravated here. Those who refuse to listen to the voice of God, those who refuse to listen to the voice of God will never see the promised land. God is not a pushover. Modern Christianity's kind of got this thing, well, God's a God of love, he'll be fine. No, he won't be fine. And neither will you, sweetheart. God is not a pushover. He does not simply turn a blind eye to rebellious people's behavior. Here's what God continues in verse 24. He says, but my servant Caleb had a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and go and don't go on toward the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. That would be the promised land. Turn around. Don't go that direction. Tomorrow, you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the the Red Sea. Follow what's happening here. Faith is displayed in obedience. When we look at God and say, God can do what he says he will do, then we tend to follow in obedience. Joshua and Caleb, they believed that the Lord could and would deliver on his promise. So they were ready to obey the Lord. Those whose faith was in Egypt, 
Those whose faith was in slavery, they rebelled against the instruction of the Lord. Their lack of faith in the Lord was displayed in their disobedience, their rebellion against God. There's a direct application there. There is this ongoing struggle in church, in the Christian world with understanding God's grace apart from legalism and obedience. We are not saved by obedience. I want to make that clear. We are not saved by obedience. We are saved by faith. Obedience is the evidence of faith. You okay? Obedience is the evidence of faith. When you believe in God, you follow him. It's a very simple concept. Disobedience or lack of obedience is the evidence of rebellion against God. Faith informs our obedience. Lack of faith gives way to disobedience. People rebel against the Lord because they do not have faith in the Lord. Brent, you're making this very black and white. I need to, I need to, because we're living in this weird gray area. People rebel against the Lord because they do not have faith in the Lord. No faith, no promised land, no salvation. We do not make excuses for those who intentionally rebel against God. No. The story is going to illustrate the necessity of faith in the Lord to enter the promised land and into salvation. I feel like I got your gears all turning in one direction and then I'm changing courses. Here we go. Number two, God punishes. Oh, this is good. Numbers 14, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints uh, that the Israelites are making against me. Seems like he said this before. Listen up, now tell them this, verse 28. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Right, because they had all these accusations against God. Now he says, I'm gonna do those things to you that you said I was doing. Verse 29, you will all, this is why I like the New Living Translation, drop dead (laughs) in this wilderness. You will drop dead, sucker. It doesn't say sucker. Because you complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Those, tw- those people 20 years old and older are going to die in the wilderness. You're probably familiar with the story. The very thing that they accused God of doing to them, because remember they said, oh God, you brought us out here to die. He goes, all right, that's fine, you'll die. God is going to do exactly what they complained about because they did not, because they did not trust God to do what he said he was going to do. They did not trust God to do what he said he was going to do. So God said, fine, I'll do what you said to do. 
Does that make sense? That's brutal. Be careful what you complain about God. Verse 31, you said your children would be carried off as plunder. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I will bring them safely into the land and they will enjoy what you have despised. There's a parenting lesson there. Verse 32, but as for you, you will drop dead again in this wilderness and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. I have preached through this several times in the course of my life. I have read through it. I have studied through it. I feel like I, I have always made the emphasis on Israel complaining, but the bigger issue is their faithlessness. Their complaining is a result of their faithlessness. There's a whole sermon there. Their faithlessness is what is the massive failure in this story. Their faithlessness has led them to this point where God says, you're going to drop dead, buddy. The children of those rebellious complainers are spared from death. They will get to enter the promised land, but only after 40 years of wandering around and waiting for their parents to die. It's a beautiful story. Wow. Verse 34. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me. Who's speaking here? Yeah. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in the wilderness and here they will die. The 10 men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited rebellion against the Lord with their bad report, were struck dead with a plague before the Lord. Of the 12 who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. God God seriously does not tolerate faithlessness. When Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Then they got up. Watch, here's the reaction. So everything that I just read, Israel just heard, Moses goes back and tells them, he tells them, you're all gonna die. God said so. (laughs) Bunch of whiny, complaining. Anyway, when Moses reported the, the Lord's word to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief again. Then they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. Let's go, they said. We realize that we have sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. What? They rebelled against God's instructions. God promises he's going to punish them, and now 
they've changed their attitudes and now they want to obey God's instructions. I know that didn't happen at your house at all, does it? It happens in a whole bunch of ways in our home. Verse 41, but Moses said, why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? You're disobeying again, it won't work. Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. I pause because we have this movement in Christianity, this understanding that, oh, even whenever I act like a total nitwit, whatever that is, the Lord is with me. No, no. Because whenever you walk into rebellion, God steps back and goes, go ahead there, idiot. (laughs) He's not walking with you in your stupidity. That's a great sermon title. Verse 43. When you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. Verse 44, but the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even, through, uh, even though neither uh, Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant left the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Hormah. That's on the map. So here we go. We're gonna, they, they go marching into the land of Canaan. The Amalekites, the Canaanites, they all gather up, drive them out here to this mountain at, Mount, at Hormah. Obedience after, listen carefully, obedience after the threat of violence is not an act of faith. It is an act of fear. There are so many applications to that. Obedience after the threat of violence is not an act of faith. It is an act of fear. Some may say, well, Brent, obedience is obedience. No, it absolutely is not. Teaching people to obey out of fear, specifically our children, or coming to church and saying, God's going to get you. No. Teaching people to obey out of fear is a short-lived motivation that often results in rebellion. Remember the story of Israel in the Old Testament? They failed every time. God threatened them with their lives and they would straighten up and then they would rebel against God. That's the cycle. So if you're trying to scare your children into the kingdom of God, it won't work. We're not saved by fear. We're saved by faith. So then how do we teach our children? By teaching them about God. By living a life of faith. Not trying to scare the H-E double hockey stick out of them. Hoppy stick? What is that? God is going to play the long game and develop faith in these people. Watch what he does because he's God. He can do this. Number three, God saves. I'm going to skip through Numbers to chapter 21. Numbers 21, verse 4. Then the people set out for Mount Hor. Uh, I was thinking that I had it on the map. Oh, here we go. They come, they come down here. They were up here in Horma. Now they're coming down here to Mount Hor. Uh, we have things going on. Taking the road to, to the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. They're gonna, go, they're gonna come down here and then they're gonna go this way around Edom. <clears throat> but the people grew impatient with the long journey. 
It's like whiplash from chapter 14 to 21. It's like God says, I'm going to kill you if you don't obey me. We get to chapter 21 and we're like, nah, forget God. But the people grew impatient with the long journey and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt here to die in the wilderness? They complained, same complaint. There is nothing here to eat and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. Really? Really? Is our ability to remember the miracles of God that bad? Evidently. So the people, so the Lord, pardon me, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. And many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Aha! This time the people come asking for God to help them before God threatens them. Of course, God also just, he sends the snakes in. And when it's bad, then they come saying, God, help us. Verse 8. Then the Lord told him, Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. Now, again, in my mind, we are faced with the dilemma of faith and obedience. What I know about physics is that Well, here again, the Lord does not know how medicine works. If only he did, like we do, because we're geniuses. But my experience with God is, is that he works outside of physics. If the Lord says all who are bitten can simply look at this bronze snake attached to the pole, they'll be healed. Then that is what I will trust and believe to be true. But Brennan makes no sense. Ta-da, you've arrived. It doesn't seem like it makes sense. I know, following God often doesn't make sense because he's supernatural. Not just a little natural, he's supernatural. (laughs) So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. But Brent, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't fit into my understanding of the universe. You can't get healed from a poisonous snake bite just by looking at the snake hanging on the pole. You have to get somebody to suck the poison out. And you know, there's a whole funny thing there, right? That's not how you deal with a poisonous snake bite. Just look at a pole with a bronze snake on it. Brent, you're not making sense. God is not making sense. It's the crisis of faith. Are you going to do what you think is wise or are you going to listen and obey God? God is faithful. God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful to do what he says he'll do, even when it seems impossible to you. God is faithful. Faithful, when people are faithless, which we will be all throughout human history, all throughout human history, people will be faithless. God is always faithful. There was another Jewish leader who was trying to apply the laws of physics and reason to God's plan for salvation. Here's the story in John chapter three. 
It says, there was a man named Nicodemus. I love this story. A Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. <laughs> Watch for the clues. This is a situation clue, right? Situation. Tells us what's going on here. After dark one evening. That's a situation clue. Tells us when. Why? Why is that important? Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, waits until it's dark. He came to speak with Jesus because he doesn't want anybody else to see him. Don't, Jesus, Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, can't go talk to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus immediately puts out this irrational idea. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He's appealing to natural laws. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. That's so important. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Very reasonable question. How are these things possible? You're talking gibberish. Verse 10, Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. We tell you what we know, we tell you what we've seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of Man, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in this incredibly irrational story of salvation will have eternal life. Parallel story. Pretty incredible. Just as God was faithful to miraculously provide salvation in the Old Testament, God is still faithful to miraculously provide salvation today. Here is why. I'm not finished with John chapter 3. He says in verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Verse 16 says, for this is how God loved the world. This is how he shows his unfailing love. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Brent, that's an incredible story that's difficult to believe. Yeah. We look on the cross of Christ in faith 
trusting that God is a faithful God to keep his promise. We are dependent upon God's faithfulness in salvation, not our own. You okay? We are dependent upon God's faithfulness in salvation, not our own, because the children of Israel have proven over and over that, well, the Old Testament narrative illustrates how quickly we people get impatient with the Lord and we go off doing our own self-centered things instead of trusting God to faithfully fulfill his promise. After 40 years of the complainers dying in the wilderness, Israel is going to arrive in, arrive in Moab on the east side of the Jordan River, where God is going to give his instructions again for life. So they're going to go around Moab, and they're going to end up here on the other side of, on the east side of the Jordan River. It is at this place, in this moment, that Israel is looking across the river into the land that God had promised to give them Again, are you with me? We fast forwarded really fast. <clears throat> Only this time they have the foundation of God proving himself faithful to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua, I believe for 40 years, they sat out there in the wilderness and they rehearsed, they retold all the stories of God doing miracles all the way back to Father Abraham. This time, when they come to the border of the promised land, their faith is in God, who has proven himself to be faithful against the impossible time and time again. We sang about it this morning. Thomas couldn't have picked songs that paralleled my sermon better. This time they come to the border of the promised land and they know that God is faithful. He is faithful against what seems to be impossible time and time again. And it's right here on the east side of the Jordan River where Moses and Aaron are going to declare uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. I don't think Moses is alive right here. They're going to they're gonna give the law to the children of Israel again. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, he says, he declares to the people of Israel who have been in the wilderness for 40 years, he says, understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. Immediately, this statement is built upon all of the memories of God providing in every single possible way for 40 years. 40 years ago, we stood at the border of the promised land and we did not believe that God was God. So today we stand looking over into the promised land and I implore you to understand that the Lord your God is indeed Elohim, he is God above all gods. He has this all in his hand. He is, he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations. And he lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. That's the part of the verse you want to be a part of, but we're very aware of verse 10. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. You have seen this to be true. There comes a time in our following God that trusting in God to do the impossible 
There comes a time in our following God that trusting in God to do the impossible is more reasonable than trusting in the laws of nature and our own ability to reason. The Lord may lead you across the sea on dry ground. The, more, the Lord may cause water to flow out of a rock or manna to just appear on the ground, but we know that God is indeed God. We know that he is faithful and he lavishes his unfailing love on those who choose to love him and obey his commands, those who follow him. We know that God is faithful to complete the work that he begins. There is an abundance of security in trusting in God. Trust in you? You have every reason to be terrified. Trust in the Lord God who has proven himself for generations and generations to be faithful and have unfailing love for those follow him, following him. We can breathe a sigh of relief and sing a song of praise. Our faith is not in ourselves for salvation. Humanity fails every single time. Our faith is in the proven faithfulness of the Lord God Almighty who lavishes his unfailing love on those who trust in him. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.